Thanks for listening to the Faith Assembly podcast. If you're in the Orlando area, we hope you're able to join us for one of our services. Please check out faithassembly.org for more information or follow us on social media at faithORL. We hope this message will be an inspiration to help you find all that God has for your life. Enjoy the message. Well, in case you didn't know it, you are all up in church today. Man, thank you so much. That was, that was meaningful and powerful. Thank you so much. So glad that you're here. Um, I also want to, uh, of course, Pastor John just did greet the campuses, but I also want to greet the campuses and so glad that you're tuning in. And anybody that also is just joining on a screen some other way or some other place, so glad that you're here. God's going to do uh, some great things in this place today. And uh, I just want to make mention of one thing that was uh, on the news a moment ago. Uh, this coming Wednesday night is our first, first Wednesday. We're doing these revival services on the first Wednesday of the month, but this one coming up this Wednesday is our first, first Wednesday. So I think we should start off with the bang. I think all y'all should come to church this Wednesday night. I'm tempted to be like, t- like a show of hands who's coming and like be looking around and see who doesn't have their hand up. Some of y'all are raising your hand anyway, but no, we're not going to do that. But try to clear the calendar. This Wednesday night is going to be our first, first Wednesday. It's going to be awesome. And uh, there at our campuses, um, our Michigan Street campus, they did a little um, moment in the service earlier, which we did not do here. I want to just mention, but uh, Pastor Charlie is the uh, worship director, worship pastor at our Michigan Street campus. He's here in some services as well, uh, but uh, he's celebrating 10 years of uh, being on staff with us, and so can we just hear across all of our campuses, Pastor Charlie, we love you and so proud and thankful for you. We're going to pray and uh, ask God just to, um, to bless this a moment of, of his word. Uh, as we pray, I want to pray for a couple things. Um, uh, first of all, I want to pray for really our, our world. I want to pray for uh, the nations of the world. We, we, you know, war breaking out is different now than it used to be a couple decades ago when it was somewhere else and you were left to your imagination to imagine what it was like. And now it's in real time and high definition and to see the devastation and the uh, broken lives and homes. I mean, I, there could be corruption in governments in everybody at play. That doesn't change the fact that there are, you know, civilians whose lives are falling apart in the midst of this. And so um, we just, I want to pray for peace and pray that God uh, would be strong in those lives. Also want to pray for family in our church. Um, Ruben Figueroa went to be with the Lord uh, this morning. That is uh, Pastor Sonia, who was just up here doing the offering uh, Lauda, Pastor Jason's wife at Redbug Campus, that's their dad, and Annie, her, her, uh, his wife, they've been in our church for decades. They are, uh, well, they have been just an incredible, Reuben was an incredible, incredible man, man of God, man of wisdom. Um, anyway, we're going to pray for them as well, okay, because God is a God of comfort. And he is a God that answers our prayers. So would you link your faith with me? Father, thank you for, for being a God who is uh, present, a God who is active, who moves on our behalf. And so we just come to you right now. I pray, God, for our world. I pray for the governments of our world. I pray for the leaders of the nations of the world. Lord, that you would come and bring wisdom, that your peace would rule and reign in every single situation, in every single home, every single 
person who's devastated by, by war, we pray, God, that somehow you would turn this around for good in Jesus' name. And we take a moment and pray for the Figueroa family, and I, I thank you, God, for being a God of peace, and um, we just trust in you, and I pray, God, that you would help us to also be a support to them during this incredibly tough time. Father, I do pray for an anointing on this word because um, we need to hear from you and we need to do more than hear from you, God. This word needs to become a part of our life. So help that to be the case in Jesus' name. And everybody across all the campuses said, amen, amen. amen. Well, we are gonna kind of pick up the series, that, that collection of talks that we were in. Uh, we took kind of a little bit of a couple week break, but we've been talking about what kind of church is this? Because you know how when you're out there all the time inviting somebody to come to church with you, and I know you do it all the time, you should come to my church, and people might say, well, what kind of church is that? And you can say, well, we are answering that question right now, this coming weekend, but we've been talking about this. What kind of church are we? Just kind of clarifying what the culture is around here. And we kind of covered four things those first four weeks. We talked about that we are a consecrated church. Is anybody still consecrated to Jesus in the room? Amen, yeah. We talked about being a worshiping church. I think we illustrated we still kind of like to worship Jesus uh, around here a few seconds ago. We talked about that we are a generous church. We illustrated that a few moments ago across all of our campuses, uh, trusting God with our resource. We also talked about that we are a reaching church. We talked about that the week before Super Sunday, y'all went out and reached the city on Super Sunday. We had like 180 new families that came through for service on that one Sunday. Hundreds and hundreds of first time guests, many of which have now called this their church home. And so isn't that awesome? And so today, uh, we picked that back up again. And the title of my message today, what kind of church is that? We are an imperfect church. We are an imperfect church. Uh, I have here, um, I read this, somebody had the top 10 reasons why they don't go to sporting events anymore. Top 10 reasons why this person doesn't go to sporting events anymore. They said, number 10, because my parents took me to too many games when I was growing up. I wanna let my kids decide for themselves what sport they will like. Number nine, the top 10 reasons why this person doesn't go to sporting events anymore. The games are scheduled on my only day to sleep in and run errands. Number eight, the reason why this person doesn't go to sporting events anymore. Since I read a book on sports, I feel I know more than the coaches anyway. The reason why this person doesn't go to church, I mean, the reason why this person doesn't go to sporting events, no, 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 this is sporting events. Because some games went into overtime and I was late getting home. So this person just stopped going to the sporting events. Number six, because I was, I was sitting with hypocrites. They said they were fans, but then they constantly badmouthed the home team. That's why this person doesn't go to sporting events. We're not, we're not talking about anything other than that. Number five, the referees made a decision I didn't agree with. Number four, the coach never came to visit me. So this person just stopped altogether, they stopped going. Because the band played some songs I'd never heard before. Number two, the reason why this person stopped going to sporting events because the people sitting in my row didn't seem very friendly. 
And the number one reason why this person stopped going to sporting events is because every time I went, they asked for my money. <laughs> oh boy. That sounds a little bit too familiar to some of you. I'm not gonna ask for a show of hands. If you go to the Word of God in Colossians chapter three, I wanna start by reading one verse in Colossians chapter three, and uh, then we'll look at the verses that surround it. Colossians chapter three, verse 13, as we talk about us being an imperfect church, and I'll bring some clarity to that in a moment, but Colossians 3.13, Paul uh, gives the church some advice. He says, make allowance for each other's faults. It's like Paul knew us or something. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Now let me say this about, before we read the rest of Colossians, uh, the verses around verse 13. Let me say this about us admitting that we are an imperfect church. This observation of imperfection does not alter the objective of holiness in our life. I gotta say that one more time. This observation of imperfection does not alter the objective of holiness in our life. We are still called to be holy. This, this admission of imperfection does not to say that we're not called to be holy. No, we're gonna see in Colossians chapter three, we are called to be holy, we are called holy, but we just kinda know ourselves. And so this is what Paul says around verse 13. In verse 12 he says, since God chose you to be holy. There it is. Since God chose you to be holy people that he loves, you must now clothe yourselves. He starts talking about what we should maybe wear. Clothe yourselves with tenderhearted mercy, with kindness, with humility, with gentleness and patience. Make allowance, verse 13, there it is, for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love which binds all of these together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts, for as members of one body you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. I have been to uh, several baseball games in the last few days my son, uh, he's actually here today, but he plays baseball, so we go and watch as many games as we can. And uh, I don't know if you've watched a baseball game lately or been to a baseball game lately, but these players, when they're going up to, to, to take their turn at bat, they are wearing more gear than they ever used to wear when some of y'all were kids. I mean, they got guards and things all over their body. Of course, they're wearing a batting helmet. A lot of them have a, a face guard on the batting helmet. They're putting on... Most every batter will put on some sort of big old arm guard, elbow guard, whatever. Sometimes kids are wearing something all the way up and down here. They'll put on something down here on their, on their legs to protect themselves. And so they're going to the bat with all this armor on. Now the reason why they're putting all this stuff on is not because they are planning on being hit by the pitch. That's not why. Matter of fact, if you go up there planning on being hit by the pitch, you are not going to be a very good hitter. We've all seen some of those kids in Little League, right? They're just always like falling backwards as the ball's on its way. That doesn't work. So they're not wearing this because they're planning on being hit by the pitch, and they're not going up there wearing this because the pitcher is trying to hit every batter. A pitcher won't stay in the game very long if he's trying to hit every batter. But the reason why they're going up wearing this equipment is because they are playing in an imperfect environment. 
That sometimes the ball slips out of the pitcher's hand, and sometimes if the pitcher can throw the ball hard, I'm, I'm glad I got some protection on. I'm glad I have this on, so if there is something that is imperfect, I can maybe take that blow, and it won't hurt me like it would have hurt me otherwise. This is what Paul is talking about in Colossians chapter 3. He's saying, since you are doing life, Oh, let's be real. Since you are doing church in an imperfect church, Paul says, then you should, you should wear some of these things. Now, let me say this about an imperfect church. We would be a perfect church if you did not attend, okay? <laughs> we might be able to be a perfect church if I was not the pastor. But since you are here and since I am here now, let's just be honest. We're an imperfect church. It does not lessen our call to holiness. Holiness is still the goal. Perfection, really. Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said, no, being, being perfect is, is kind of the goal. So this is still the goal. But we just know that it's an imperfect world and it's an imperfect group of people that gather here and call this great church their home church. And so as we do that, this this instruction that Paul gives us is how we can handle the imperfections. And so the first thing that Paul talks about that we should put on, as maybe our guard, what we should wear, he says that we should put on mercy. We should put on mercy. Some, some um, translations of this call it compassion. Uh, the ver version we read said tender-hearted mercy. It's, it's this mercy that's coming from deep within. Other versions say the, the bowels of, of, of mercy. In other words, it's this yearning, internal compassion that is working within us. I, I, I want you to think about the people in your life that have been merciful to you. Think about, think about your spouse and maybe all the times when you weren't perfect as a spouse, but that spouse showed, instead of holding unforgiveness towards you, showed mercy towards you. Think about your parents. Maybe you weren't the perfect child growing up, but yet your parents extended mercy to you. Think about all of these different people in your life that extended mercy and think about what it meant to you. And now Paul is calling us to do the same, that as we're doing life in an imperfect church, even if something doesn't go exactly right, even if there's a chance for me to possibly pick up an offense, Paul would say, no, no, don't do that. Instead of that, show mercy. You realize as Christians, the moment that an offense would start to take root, the moment that something happens, that now I can choose to uh, feel some sort of unforgiveness. The moment that I begin to feel that is the moment that I should start to forgive. You know what a lot of us do? A lot of us, something happens, we get offended, and then we hold on to the unforgiveness. We don't show mercy, no, we hold on to that. And we hold on to it for days or weeks or months because somebody has to pay for what they did. And so we hold on and hold on until somebody preaches about unforgiveness and about bitterness. And then finally, two years later, we're like, okay, I'll let it go, Lord. But for a Christian who understands that I'm doing life in an imperfect world, for a Christian like that, they know the moment that I have the chance, the moment something rubs me the wrong way is the moment I start to forgive. It's the moment I, show, I start to show mercy. This is what Paul's saying. This is the kind of mercy that we should put on. And, and we read it several times in verse 13. Forgive. Forgive anyone who offends you. Because the Lord forgave you, so now you must forgive others. I have, um, I have a, a new puppy that we got at Christmas time. And uh, so she's like maybe 
three months old or something like that, maybe a little over three months old, and then I got, a, I got an older dog, and he's old. And so, you know what? Uh, those two don't always behave the same way. Like, uh, my puppy does things that my older dog doesn't do anymore. And when, I, when my puppy does it, I'm like, eh, if my older dog was doing some of that stuff, I'd be like, hey, what's the deal? Like, you're, you're past that. Like, why are you still acting like this? But, but what, I, what I have and see my, my puppy do, I'm, I, I kind of can, extend, what I do is I extend some mercy. I extend some grace because she's not along on the journey as much as the older dog is. Now, I think she's gonna get there, but I have to extend her some grace and some mercy. You know that there's some people in this church, they may not be in the same place of the journey as you are. And you're looking at them like they should be acting like you. And if you're holding the unforgiveness, they probably shouldn't be acting like you. But you're looking at these other people going, why aren't you further along? It's because they're not further along, which is why we have to be a place of mercy. And the more merciful we are, the more we're going to be a church that just draws the imperfect, which is what we want. We want people who are imperfect and not so far along in their journey to come here and see God bring breakthrough in their life, bring healing in their life. God's, Paul says, you should put on mercy as you deal with an imperfect church. So he also says, put on kindness. Put on kindness, this Greek word that gets translated kindness here, I like it. It literally means benevolence in action. In other words, this kind of kindness is not just a concept. We can't just go, yeah, I mean, for the most part, you know, I'm probably kind. No, this is an action. This is something that we are doing. This is something that somebody can see around us. And uh, uh, Margaret Mead was an anthropologist, and she was teaching in a class. I read about this, and, and uh, someone in the class asked her the question. They said, what is the first sign of civilization? Like, what was the first sign that mankind was kind of coming along and, 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 and being, a, being a civilization? And they expected her to say something about maybe finding a tool or finding a fish hook or finding some sort of, uh, you know, certain rock fashioned into something. But her answer was surprising. She said, well, actually, the first sign of civilization was a healed femur bone, a healed femur. And they were looking kind of odd, and she said, you see, in the early, early stages of, of man, it was, it was a lot of survival of the fittest, and there would be these places where these people would just be like, you know, you, if you could go hunt, if you could go gather, then you could stay alive. If not, then, then you weren't going to make it. And so, so she was saying that a, a, a healed femur bone means that somebody was uh, alive long enough, and, and they weren't able to manage on their own, and so some other people came alongside. Some other people showed this person kindness and said, though you can't go hunt, I'll go hunt for you. Though you can't go gather, I'll go gather for you. Though you can't protect protect yourself, I'll protect you in this season while you heal. And that healed femur was a sign of civilization because people were showing kindness. I like that we would be that. That when somebody's going through something, when somebody's maybe broken in their life, that instead of looking down on them, instead of judging, instead of thinking that they're some sort of lesser saint than I am, no, instead of that, I'd say, you know what? Since you can't hunt right now, I'll go hunt for you. Since you can't gather right now, I'll go gather for you. I'm gonna give you some time to see healing happen in your life. Ephesians chapter four, it's a real simple verse. It's, maybe you've heard, it's popular, but it just says this, be ye kind one to another. Be ye kind. You know what I feel like? I feel like in our culture, not, not, not faith assembly, but in the culture in our country, I feel like that we've traded the word kindness and we've traded the concept of kindness for criticism. I feel like we've just gotten so good at criticism. I mean, there's some people that just think criticism is their new gift of the spirit. It's just their new 
you know, I, I am so gifted at criticizing. I mean, I can just find stuff wrong everywhere I look. We've, we've gotten to this thing, and so, here's the problem with criticism. That spirit of criticism is never satisfied. Once you start feeding that spirit of criticism, it's never satisfied. And then here's what happens. You start to walk into environments not to find what's right about the environment. You start to walk into environments to find what's wrong with it. Oh, you can start to come into church not to find what's right about the message, but to find what's wrong about the message. You can start coming to church not to find what's right about the worship, but to find what's wrong about the worship. You can start coming to church not to find what's right about the people that are sitting on my row, but I'm going to find something wrong with the people sitting in my row. That's what happens when a spirit of criticism starts to take over in my life. So Paul says, in an imperfect world, there may be some people like that, then you better put on kindness. He also says that we should put on humility. This was a uh, radical statement for Paul back in these days because in, in the pagan world that Paul lived in, humility was not an attribute that was admir ad uh, admirable. Uh, they admired pride, they admired domination, they admired arrogance, and Paul said, you gotta put on humility. Now, humility is not thinking low of yourself. I don't have time to explain and teach on this, but if you think low, oh, I just, I'm nobody, I'm nothing, whatever, that's actually a form of pride because all my focus is on me. So humility is not that to think low of yourself. Humility is just to have a, a, a healthy view of who you are in the perfect will of God. That's humility. It's just, no, I'm, I'm just who God has me to be. I'm just in God's will. I'm just, I'm just here. That's what humility is. So Paul says, put on humility because otherwise, in an imperfect world, you could start to put on arrogance. You could start to put on pride. And the difference between humility and pride can be stated this way. Like anytime somebody walks into a room, anytime somebody walks into an environment, even, even if anybody could walk into church, you can walk in with kind of two different statements about your life. You can walk into the room or into church, and you can walk in with this statement. Here I am. Here I am. And that's what arrogance would have you walk in with. Or you can walk in with humility. And when you walk into an environment or into a church with humility, you say, there you are. There you are. And if we could go from walking into church saying, here I am, here I am. Because when you walk in with here I am, arrogance will start saying, why isn't anybody noticing me? Why isn't anybody making a fuss over me? Why isn't anybody asking me to serve? Why isn't anybody asking me to sing? Because here I am, but instead of here I am, if you walk in with there you are, there you are, there you are, guess what? People are going to come into this church and they're going to walk out going, I have never been noticed by so many people in all my life. I have never been celebrated by such a room like I was celebrated and they're going to say you know what I maybe had plans next weekend but I'm coming back to that church because I haven't felt what I felt there anywhere else in my life why because we put on humility and we say there you are I mean read the gospels and you'll see Jesus you'll see that attitude that spirit coming out of him there you are there you are broken person there you are lonely person there you are person in need of breakthrough that's how we live life. It's, I can either make this thing about me. I can either make this thing, oh, it's, it's gotta be my way. Some of us fall into the trap in an imperfect church. We start to think it has to be my way or we could think, no, I will make a way for somebody else. Paul also says that we gotta put on gentleness. I, I, I like this 
Other translations call it meekness. And I want you to know that gentleness and, and, and meekness is not weakness. It's actually power under control. This word was used, this gentleness, meekness, this word in, in, the Greek is, in the Greek language is used to describe a lot of different things. It's used to describe a soothing wind or healing medicine or a cult that had been broken. Now, think about it. In each of those three instances, there's power there. A wind can destroy. A colt can go crazy. A horse that's untrained. Medicine, too much of it can kill. So there's power there, but in those instances, this power is under the control. The meek person learns how to live under control. The meek person, the, 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 the gentle person, learns how to not be abrasive in every single situation. Look at what gentleness and, and meekness does in Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. Brothers and sisters, this is what happens when we wear gentleness even in an imperfect church. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. Watch yourselves. You may also be tempted some people, when they're not wearing this protection called gentleness, called, called meekness, sometimes when they're not wearing that, they can start to be abrasive towards people, even abrasive towards people who are, who are maybe sinners. And you, I mean, I've seen people that are, are maybe trying to do something good and trying to reach people, but I've seen them sometimes beat people up with the Bible. And it's just when I read the Gospels, I just don't see Jesus doing it that way. I see him restoring gently. There's some preachers that kind of make a thing about just attacking all the other preachers, all the other imperfections and all the other preachers. And they'll say, well, this guy preaches this way and this guy preaches this way. And I'm like watching this guy. I'm like, well, <laughs> I mean, that's an imperfect way to go, go about it because you're just pointing out everybody else's faults. No, instead of that, let's be gentle and bring restoration. Paul says in an imperfect world, you got to put on gentleness. In an imperfect world, you got to put on, he says, patience. He adds that to this list of virtues. This word literally means long-tempered. It's like a, a patience, think about this, is a steady response even in the midst of being provoked. Because some of us go, no, no, I mean, I can keep my cool. No, I'm good. I mean, unless somebody messes with me. And then if you provoke me, I am not responsible for my actions. Well, I, that's, that's immaturity. Like, no, no, but Paul's saying, no. Paul's saying, you will be provoked. Paul's saying, even up in church, you will be provoked. There'll be somebody that's gonna, they may do it unintentionally. Do you realize that sometimes people, something happens and we're all mad and they didn't even mean for that to happen. They weren't even targeting you with whatever it is that you thought they did. So, so provoking's gonna come. The patience says, I'm gonna stay steady even when I'm provoked. I'm not even gonna get mad when someone would say I had the right to get mad. I mean, I want you to think about it this way. If I have to choose between uh, between anger and, 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 and patience. If I, have to, if I have to choose between those two, anger and, and, and gentleness, think about it. Which one is more fun? Let's say it this way. If I have to choose between mad and joy, which one's more fun? Joy's more fun. More fun for me, more fun for the people around me. If I'm joyous, that's much more fun than being mad. But here's the thing. We still sometimes choose anger. Because y'all gonna like this. Nobody can make you angry. And somebody just goes, you don't know my spouse, Pastor. You do, because I promise even you, they would make you angry. But no. Anger, I mean, 
I'll be, I'll be honest, sometimes I choose anger when I'm driving. Because that person in front of me is going whatever speed they're going or not, they thought they were going to turn, they decide not to turn, all this stuff. But usually on the road, there's somebody else on the same road experiencing the same environment, and they're not angry. They're just over there listening to the 88 just like smiling, happy, love, whatever. <laughs> so it's, it's our choice. And joy is so much more fun than anger, which is why Paul says, in an imperfect environment, in an imperfect church, just wear patience. Let somebody have a break. If you think about it, the reason why we get angry is because, I mean, in most every situation, you could think of the last 10 things you got mad about. Normally, it's because there were unmet expectations. Because you expected something and it did not happen, and then that's when you chose to get angry. Now, if that's true, that unmet, expect, unmet expectations is the problem, here's two things I want you to think about as we think about unmet expectations. The first one would be this. If I have unmet expectations, now here's what I do. I choose to either assume the worst about that unmet expectation or believe the best about it. So someone does something, rubs me the wrong way, now I have a choice. Anger will assume the worst. Anger will say, they're out for me. Anger will say, that's how they treat everybody. Somebody, I'm gonna give them a piece of my mind. Like, I'm not gonna put up with this and, and I know that they're talking bad about me. That's what anger will assume the worst. But patience, patience will believe the best and patience will look at that same moment, that same rub and go, I bet they could be going through something. There could be something heavy on their heart and I don't even know what's going on. Because I know this isn't how they normally act, but yet this is how they're acting today. Maybe I should pray for them. See, it's, it's, it's our choice when there's an unmet expectation. The second thing to think about with unmet expectations is this. Sometimes, sometimes it's just that our expectations are too high. Because I've heard y'all say it before. I mean, I've heard church people say this for, since I've been alive. They'll say stuff like, well, I know, but they ought to know better at that church. Like, that person's been in church for this long, and they should know better, and that pastor should know better, and that, that person should know better. And so what happens is we, we put these unrealistic expectations because it's church. Now, you, you can get hurt anywhere. You can get hurt at work, and you can get hurt at the sporting event, and you can get hurt at school, and you can get hurt at the grocery store. Somebody can look at you funny at all those places, but your expectations are lower, so it doesn't hurt as much. And then you come to church, and you expect everybody to just be perfect, everybody to have be having a great day every day all the time now listen to me this is not saying that we're not called to holiness because we are but sometimes our expectations are so, so high we're just waiting to get angry can I let you in on a little I don't even know if I should say this I said it in the first service don't know if I should have but I'll go for it again here we go we were having a meeting this last week we're already planning for Easter. Easter's gonna be the greatest weekend around here we've ever seen, ever. It's gonna be incredible. We were talking about Easter and somebody had the idea and they said, talking about a different way that we could maybe park cars on Easter to try to make it better for all the new people coming in so that they could get a parking spot faster and get a seat faster and hear the gospel in a way that they would be in a better state of mind and maybe respond to Christ. And so we're talking about this different way that we could do the parking lot and this was literally said in the meeting. Somebody goes, well, I mean, yeah, but some people might get mad if they don't get to park in the lot that they normally park in. Oh, that's true. And we literally start to dial back from possibly a God idea because we don't want somebody to get angry about where they park. 
And it's, Paul's saying, this is why we need patience. In an imperfect environment, we need patience. And then in verse 14, uh, Paul says the one that you're just supposed to put on over all of it. And he says, above all, clothe yourselves with love. Imperfect church, imperfect environment. Clothe yourselves with love because love binds us all together in perfect harmony. This catalog of virtues that he's mentioning, love is the one that ties them all together. So, so like what can happen if I don't put these things on and if I don't put love on to cover, what can happen as I do life, as I do church, as I do work in an imperfect environment? Manny, would you come on up and help me real quick? Manny's gonna come and help me. Come and stand over here if you would. And so we've been in church for a little bit. We've been doing our thing. And then uh, something, something happens, and somebody says something, somebody does something, and it's an opportunity for me to show mercy, but instead of showing mercy, I just, I just choose unforgiveness. And I say, I can't believe that they did that. I can't believe that they didn't include me. I can't believe that they didn't, they didn't think of me to be on, on, on this team. And so they just left me out, and so fine, if it's going to be that way. And then we, we have the chance, the call to be kind, but now because of this, now we're just hateful, and now we're critical, and we go, well, that, that's because that church, they don't know what they're doing over there, and, and I, I know that one person, I know that one leader, I know their heart, and they're always saying the wrong thing, and so we turn into this when, when this is what, isn't what we were called to be, and pretty soon this arrogance starts to kick in. I mean, yes, God calls us to be humble, and I mean, I, I would be humble, but, but you don't understand what, what these people are doing. And, and, uh, and uh, I got to the outreach, and they put me in a position. They put me way out at the end of the line. There's hardly anybody, anybody out there to reach. And the, the, the good people, all the, the, the popular people, they're all up in the front. They get to serve in the front line. I'm back here in the back of the line. Arrogance starts to be what we're wearing. And we were supposed to be gentle. And now when people come into contact with us, we're abrasive. If we're not careful, we show up to church and this is what we're wearing. Trying to worship, trying to hear from God, but so much going on in our mind, so much going on in our heart, and we're going, God, where are you? And Paul says, when this is going on, he says, you know what, over all of these, put this on for me, he says, over all of these, we're love. Because love is a covering. And he says, if you'll put this on, if you'll wear love, he says, all of these things are tied in there. If you'll, if you'll just decide, I'm gonna be a person of love, I'll be a person of mercy, I'll be a person of kindness, I'll be a person of humility, I'll be a person of gentleness, I'll be a person of patience, if I'll just put on love, thank you. And I want you to think about something. As, as love covers, it reminds me of 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8. 
where it says, above all, love each other deeply. Why? Because love covers over a multitude of sin. Now, I don't know which angle, I don't know which direction you have read that verse in the past, but as I love others, it covers their sins. I don't, I don't see the anger. I don't see the resentment. I don't see the mistreatment. I don't see the offense because I'm wearing love, but love also covers my offense, my anger, my pride, my arrogance, my unforgiveness. When you come to church and you think about whatever cute outfit to wear that, that Sunday, go for it. Look as cute as you want to look, but also know I better put on some mercy. Also know I better put on some kindness. I better put on some humility because I may because it's not a perfect church. It's a great church, but it's not a perfect church. I better put on some gentleness. I better put on some patience. And then the last thing you put on before you walk up into this room, put on love. And let's be a church that is filled with love. And when we are, we're gonna draw more imperfect people right into this church. Let's pray. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? And as we get ready to pray, nobody looking around, I want to pray specifically for some of you. For some of you that maybe have been walking through a season of brokenness, a season of imperfection that is really starting to kind of define your life. Now, hear me. Focus, focus, focus right now. Don't let anything distract you because... Because some of you are in this mindset of thinking that you have to clean yourself up before you come to God. You're thinking, I might come to God, but I am so imperfect. Let me get some things straightened out first. Let me get my headspace right. Let me get my heart right first. Let me get some of these actions that I've been doing cleaned up. Let me get, let me get the victory over this addiction first. Let me get this relationship healed, and then I'll come to Jesus. It does not work like that. You come to Jesus with all your imperfections and he's the one that starts to perfect you. He's the one that says, I, I began a good work in you and I will be the one that's faithful to complete it. So with nobody looking around, if that's you, just saying, you know what, I'm an imperfect person that needs a relationship with a Jesus that can heal. I need to make Jesus Christ my Lord today. I know it. I know that there's sin in my life and I understand that sin has separated me from God. I feel it. I know it. And I'm, I'm, I want forgiveness. I want to turn and make Jesus Christ my Lord. If that's you across all of our campuses, nobody's looking around. It's really between you and me and God right now. But if that's you, I need to establish or reestablish a relationship with Jesus. You know who you are. If that's you, here's, what, here's all I'm asking you to do right now. It's I just want to ask you just to slip up your hand and I'll see it. I need a relationship with God. Yeah, yeah. Anybody else? I need, thank you, thank you. I need to establish, yes, a relationship with God. Anybody else? In the risers, there to our other campuses, there in the atrium. Some of you need to just come back to God. Let's be real. Maybe it was something happened. Maybe it was something that hurts you and it caused you to walk away from God. Can I tell you that no matter what any church member, church leader, no matter what they've done, it doesn't change the beauty, the perfection of God. The mercy of God that's reaching out to you right now. Anybody else needs to just surrender their life to Christ today? Come into right relationship. Yes, anybody else? Okay, I'm asking another question. For some of us church folk, to be honest, how many could say this, that as I have done life 
in an imperfect church, something hurt me along the way. And I'm afraid I have not been wearing the right garments. I need help. I need to put love on again. I need to put mercy on again. I need to put kindness on again. I need to put humility on again. How many just has walked through something and say, today's message for me, I'm putting love on again. Let me see your hand if that's you, church. Yeah, yeah, a lot of us, a lot of us. May God see that response and start that healing work right now. Could I ask everybody across all of our campuses, would you put your hand over your heart? God, I pray healing right now. Healing over the hurts, over words spoken wrong, over words unspoken, over looks. Healing, God, over past failures made by somebody else, intentional or unintentional. Healing right now in our hearts, Jesus, as we put on these virtues and bind them all together with love that covers. Let your love, God, cover. Jesus I hope you enjoyed listening to the Faith Assembly podcast. Thank you for joining us in pursuit of growing closer to Christ. Stay tuned for more messages released every week. God bless.